This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning, Dharma brothers and sisters. Thanks for coming this morning. I want to talk about karma today. I don't think I've ever heard anybody really, t- I mean, anybody in the, uh, this kind of a situation talk about it. So the subtitle of my talk is uh, Finding a Satisfactory Definition of Karma, a Personal Journey Through a Maze of Slippery Words. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know about you, but I, I have found throughout my practice the, the thoughts of Dharma to be rather confusing. So for a long time I didn't think much about it. Uh, an early definition of karma that I heard came from my Japanese, my first teacher who was Japanese. And I don't know if this is what he always thought, but at least I heard it in one Dharma talk. I don't know if he said it more than once, but he said that karma was no different than thought. I thought this was kind of weird. didn't seem to fit with anything I knew about karma, which wasn't much, but I, maybe I did know that the Sanskrit word karma means action. So somehow thought action. What's that all about? I heard that karma was defined as fate. So I knew that karma had a lot to do with cause and effect. And I guess somewhere along the line I learned that the Buddha had defined karma as not just action but as intentional action. So to me in my early years of practice I regarded karma as something kind of musty and not very relevant to me and not very relevant to the Buddhism that I knew about or that I wanted to know about. As an example, and this is, I watched a documentary this week about these um, six blind Tibetan kids that got a chance to climb Mount Everest and some some people are nodding like maybe they've seen that. And one of the um, um, they were teenagers, so maybe 13 years old. This one kid, oh, oh, and then failed to mention that in Tibet, blind people, especially blind children, are treated very cruelly. It's like they're just uh, pariahs, and they're usually hidden away for the rest of their life. So this was a big gift to give these kids. They had a chance to show they could do something that most of us wouldn't think they could do, climb Mount Everest. Anyway, this, so this 13-year-old kid said, yeah, I'm blind. It's because, uh, it, it's because I did something terrible in one of my past lives. And, um, yeah, but I know it wasn't murder, because if it was murder, I wouldn't have been born again as a human. I wouldn't have been reborn as a human. So um, karma, in, historically, in, in the ancient cultures of India, was very tied to rebirth. And, of course... You know, rebirth has a very weird relationship to Buddhism. It's kind of a cultural leftover, and I think these ways of looking at karma also are cultural leftovers, because karma was so much a part of, of India's you know, way of thinking uh, from Vedic times. And so, but but it's weird that that rebirth is part of Buddhism, and and it is because you go to a lot of sutras, there, especially like the Diamond Sutra. It's all based. I mean, it, all throughout, it's talking about rebirth. And you think, and the two um, Japanese teachers that I've had, uh, you know, had in my 
history, both of them talked about rebirth as you know, a very real thing. So it's kind of hard to reconcile that. I don't think most of us people in the West think much of rebirth. I don't know about you, but when I hear someone talking about rebirth, I kind of translate it in my mind into some kind of an ancestral kind of thing, like, you know, I'm sort of reborn from my great-grandmother because of all the things that were passed down through my family. So I kind of translate it into something like that. But, you know, know, when you think about it, what does, on earth, does rebirth have to do with Buddhism? I mean, we're, the Buddha felt that we were, we don't even, we aren't separate selves. There's no selves. So what self is there to be reborn? And yet, it gets carried on in, in, in the, the Asian you know, traditions. And I think depends the ways of looking at karma kind of right along with that. So um, David Lloyd talks about the Buddha's relationship with the word karma. And he t- says, uh, I learned from reading his uh, essay in uh, his book, Money, Sex, War, and Karma, that um, Buddha didn't really define karma very consistently, and it was he talked about it differently in different sutras. And, um, and, and, you know, so it may be that he didn't really kind of have a good way to take this ancient... Um, way of thinking and kind of merge it in with his new, totally new way of looking at the world that he came up with. And um, maybe he didn't, or, or maybe it just got twisted by people that wrote down the Buddha's ideas in the, you know, later on, uh, after maybe, I don't think they started writing anything down until at least 100 years after the Buddha died, so... Yeah, so it's been misused in kind of creepy ways, I think, in Asian cultures, just like the blind kid that totally accepted people treating him cruelly because he'd done bad things in his past lives. So uh, karma has been used by Buddhist fundamentalists to justify all kinds of stuff, you know? justify people that are wealthy and are in power because they obviously did a lot of good things in their past lives and those that are downtrodden obviously did a lot of bad things so everybody deserves what they get and everything's just fine. (laughs) And also um, it's also a part of the the relationship in Theravadan Buddhism of uh, of, uh, the lay people to the sangha, the sangha being the ordained, the monks. The, the, historically, the um, lay people don't really practice what the way they, they don't practice with meditation. They, what they do is donate uh, and, and feed the monks and take care of them. And, um, and they're earning merit so that they can be enlightened in their next life or maybe even in this life, I don't know. And so they are supposedly making good karma by helping out with the monastery. Of course, this gets a little bit twisted and distorted because sometimes they're uh, heading towards a good rebirth and enlightenment. Also, sometimes they might be heading towards a good rebirth, meaning they'll be reborn in a wealthier family. So, for these kind, this kind of, of history, it's 
sort of easy to see why karma isn't always something that I've wanted to think about or think that it had any relationship to my life or any relationship to Western Buddha, uh, Western Buddhism. It's even been misused, you know, to um, explain why the Jews had the Holocaust or why blacks went through 400 years of constant suffering under slavery and the, re and the results of slavery. But anyway, um, even though I thought karma wasn't too related to my life, I think like most people, there was a point in time where I had to start grappling with my karma. And in grappling with my karma, I kind of learned what karma, what I think karma really is. Uh, and um, so my, my personal showdown with karma, <laughs> uh, came late in life for me, uh, maybe in a way that a lot of people struggle uh, with their facing their, their, their own karma, um, was through a, a long-term relationship. And I didn't have a long-term relationship until I was in my 40s. I had consistently serial short relationships and many periods of time with no relationship between the three or four year relationships that I had. So I was pretty much of a person who lived alone. And uh, so I fell into a, a relationship in my 40s. And um, it was a relationship that had a lot of good things in it and a lot of very meaningful things. And it was very rich in some ways. But, uh, and it was, felt so wonderful. It, it felt so wonderful to have I don't know, to be settled, you know, to have something to count on and, and um, not worry that I, I was going to be alone again in a year or so. And it, it was wonderful in that way. But it wasn't really a good relationship for me and in that we weren't really, we didn't really know how to help each other very much. And it wasn't, certainly wasn't an abusive relationship or anything like that, but it wasn't, I don't know, my wisdom said after a while of this relationship that I really needed to get out of it, that it wasn't, it wasn't mutually helpful and uh, it was sapping all my energy and I wasn't able to feel any fulfillment in my life and nor was he. And so anyway, so that's the beginning of my grappling with, with um, with karma, and to make a long story short, this relationship ended up lasting 22 years because I struggled and struggled being pulled by uh, a lot of habit energy, a lot of sentimentality, um, you know, and I was just constantly flip-flopping between, um, I was reminded of that term, that's what politicians do, right? They flip-flop, so I was flip-flopping. You know that old thing? Should I go or should I stay, you know? And this went on and on. In this case, it was more, should he go or should he stay? Because he lived in my house. <laughs> so, which was another thing that made it really hard. It's hard to, you know, kick somebody that you care about out of your house. But <laughs> um, Anyway, um, I think we, we had a, did have a separation somewhere along the line. I th actually, I think it was in the seventh year, you know, they had the seven year. What is that? The seven year. That uh, seems to be a, a kind of an old wives' tale that seven years of a relationship is 
leads to problems. So seventh year is difficult. And the seventh year we were we were separated, lived separately. And then I started yearning, yearning, yearning for someone to cling to, you know, for someone for and for I was clinging to this romanticized idea I had of togetherness and having someone to be together with. But as soon as he moved back in, the yearning ceased, and it was replaced more by <laughs> a feeling of being really stuck again. <laughs> so, um, and I was there was a lot of sadness, and there was fear of sadness, and a lot of my sadness I transferred to him. It's like I was feeling sad for him. But my Zen teacher at the time said, "I don't think you're feeling sad for him. I think you're." feeling sad for yourself. I never could quite see that, but uh, I, I believe it might have been true. Um, but we had a very karmic relationship, a very karmic bond, actually. I, and I think our bond was based on fear, mutual fear of that cruel world out there. You know, and we were safe in our little, our little furry nest. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't satisfying. So, um, you know, fear, fear of loneliness, fear of the unknown, fear of, of not having anybody to lick my, moon, my wounds when I had to face the, the world. Um, except that we weren't very good at licking each other's wounds. I don't think we even understood each other's wounds at all. And I was addicted to a lot of old ideas. I was addicted to all the ideas that were fed to me as a child, mostly by my mother. But, you know, the only way to live was to have a partner, to be married. My person was a husband. You know, gotta have a husband. That's that's the key to happiness. And and so those ideas were had became my ideas, and um, they were habits of thought that it was very very difficult to you know to let go of. And so finally, in 2016, he moved out to stay, and I, I finally, there was a moment when it just, you know, it just all came together, and it, this has to happen. It was very hard. It was a very hard time. Uh, the hardest time I ever had, and there was a lot of grief. But I think we both got free, because he wasn't any happier than I was, but he had no, he did not have a way to, to do this. And I did, so in a way it was kind of my job to do, I think. Um, and we're still friends. He's, um, he has us having a lot of health problems, and I help him with his problems. I see him regularly, and you know, I still feel a lot of affection for him. But I'm no longer so, I'm so emotionally tied up with uh, trying to make something that wasn't ever going to work, work. But that was my struggle with karma. It was a long time. It was a long struggle, and it was worthwhile. It was the whole thing was worthwhile. I don't regret any of it. It was hard, um, but I finally felt what karma. I finally experienced what karma felt like. It felt like this huge sucking uh, swamp, you know, just sucking me down. You couldn't, couldn't act. It felt like a magnet. You know, a very powerful magnet that just, you know, had to really yank myself away from. And I realized that very much that what what karma was, or if this is karma, if I'm using it in the right way, but it seemed right from everything I 
and red. Um, that it was really just basically my conditioning. That's what karma is. It took me all this time to figure that out and to really get it, you know, at the gut level. It's just my conditioning. So what is conditioning? I don't know, what's conditioning to you guys? Anybody got a good definition? The, the description that I always liked was that, um, you know, if something is pickled in something for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> right? it sort of has that taste, right? Yeah. So I think, that, I think the conditioning is like that which you have been pickled in. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I think that's going to be my definition from now on. <laughs> Can anybody top that one? <laughs> so it's kind of the sum total of everything that's happened to us in our life, you know, from the time we were born and all the, in our culture and all the ways that we've been are twisted and, you know, informed and the habits that have been injected into us from, from early years. And all of these are, came from actions, actions that were done uh, to us or actions that we knew or actions that we did ourselves. It makes me wonder if somehow maybe the Buddha always meant, that when he talked about intentional action, he always meant all the intentional action, all the intentional action in the whole world, you know, I mean... And, uh, but somehow it got twisted the meaning of person's personal actions, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but, you know, uh, it's interesting to think about all the actions in the world. Because what, what's an action anyway? I mean, are, is the human body capable of never not doing some action? Um, I think that we're all, I think actions are always going on continuously with us. Even if you're in a coma. Well, you're in a coma. <laughs> if you're sleeping, you're sleeping. Um, actions aren't just doing big things like running in a marathon or building a skyscraper or writing a play or killing someone. I mean, those are the actions that we see right television scripts about that, you know. It's also feeding your dog or yelling at your child or smiling or sleeping or sneering or slamming the door or thanking the person in the car who just let you in or, you know, scratching yourself or, you know, it, it's, it's everything. And I think the one thing that karma teaches us is, is that all of the actions, all actions have, have, have consequences. And um, all of our actions, even little ones, have consequences. All our intentional actions. That's where it gets a little bit complicated, intentional actions. Um, because the Buddhist definition of um, karma is intentional, intentional action. So intentional action is, well, what's intentional action? It, it's action that comes from thought, basically. Or another way to put it is that it comes out of our ego. So it doesn't mean that intentional actions are bad. Not at all. It's just that the intentions that we actually do out of our thinking mind. Um, so that brings up the question, what's unintentional actions? <laughs> I don't know, this kind of, my last Dharma talk, I talked about merit and uh, how uh, 
you know, Buddy Dahmer's uh, conversation with his ruler, who, who wanted to get a lot of credit for the good things that he'd done, and he had done a lot of good things, established universities, been a very just ruler, treated people well. You know, he had done a lot of good things, but Buddy Dahmer wasn't satisfied with uh, that. That was all intentional action, but Buddy Dahmer was looking for something bigger than uh, actions that come out of our thoughts. So unintentional actions are just those things we do because we're connected somehow. We're in a point of connection with everyone else and we're not doing something in any way uh, out of our own thought thinking. We're just doing it because it's right and it, it just we just know what to do. And those things happen a lot, but you know, I don't know if there's any way to keep track of how many actions are intentional and how many are not. Um, So um, intentional action is action that springs from our mind. So um, going back to my original uh, definitions that I heard about karma, like my Japanese Zen teacher saying that it was thought. Yeah, okay, I understand that now. That uh, Because thought and action are in, uh, very much um, intertwined. Um, uh, Without a thought, I mean, action springs from thought, and or intentional action springs from thought. And I, I don't know if it's the other way around that you can say all thought is going to cause an action, but they do say that every thought you have is reflected somewhere in your body. So I don't know whether you can say that all thought results in action. But uh, at any rate, those two are very tied up. So thus, now I understand action, thought, all that is tied up in, in what people call karma. It's interesting that even habits, I mean, you might say, well, what about habits? You, a lot of times you just do a habit, a habitual thing without thinking about it. But from what I've read, uh, habits are considered intentional thought also because they're kind of frozen intentions because when you got into doing this habit, you were intending to do it, but then it just became, you know, it kind of froze and became an intention that you no longer even remember anymore, maybe why, where, where it came from, but it was in, originally inten intentional. Um, so, okay, uh, thought, action, intentional action, all right, definitions for karma. But uh, another, uh, that, uh, another definition I mentioned was karma as fate, and uh, this is the one definition of karma that is not really acceptable in the Buddhist in the Buddhist way of thinking of things. It, it, it's easy to see, though, why karma is called fate, or say past karma at least is called fate, because I am who I am, and it's not because of anything I asked to be. I did not ask to be born. I didn't ask to be born to the parents I was born to. And neither did you. We didn't ask to be um, brought up in the culture that we are we landed in. We didn't ask to be have a lot of the things that happened to us were not things that we had any control over. If we were born into a family with dysfunctional parents, maybe alcoholic, maybe just cruel, um, that's our fate. So you can, it's easy to see why. Um, why we can call that fate. The only trouble is um, 
Yeah, well, just I wanted to dwell on that a little bit more. Uh, because we're formed by our conditioning and it's not... Um, it, it, at some point in, in our lives, it does become something that we can change. But um, it's interesting that even um, in the past, even that we could change it is even um, uh, a, a gift, if you will, you know. Yeah. Well, it's like we've been dealt a hand, and even if um, if we're lucky enough to be brought up in a family that's where we receive a good education, where a lot of love is given to us, and a lot of we're taught to be open-minded, we're taught to you know be um, um, ex- uh, receptive to practices like what we do here. That's also a gift too. And some people don't get that, you know. They don't. They don't get that kind of a um, bringing up, so they can't even take in maybe goodness that's offered to them. And um, so, um, it's easy to, you know, find fault. But basically, the belief is that everybody is doing the best they can with what they've been dealt. And um, I guess I learned that from Tia Strozer. Anybody know? Some of you old timers probably know Tia Strozer. You do, Sherry, don't you? I mean, she was so, she used to come here back in the day as a visiting teacher, and she ended up, uh, I know, she might still be at Brooklyn Zen Center, I'm not sure. She was there for a while as a head teacher. I did Dokusan with her once, and uh, I walked in the room and she said, um, do you know that you've always done the best you can? And I, this is the first time I'd heard this, and I was like, well, you don't even know me. I don't know I've always done the best you can. <laughs> I don't know when I got it, whether I was still in the room with her when I got it or I got it later on, but oh yeah, I see. Everybody's doing the best they can. That was very revolutionary to me. And I also remember uh, one time with uh, Kosho, two head teachers ago, <laughs> um, who I uh, regularly did Dokusan with. Um, I, w- I was talking to him about how I felt really hurt that my uh, partner's sister never came to visit us. She lived in San Antonio, and we'd go down there and visit her, and she was always very. Uh, sweet to us and seemed very loving, but she never came to visit or went out of her way to see us. And I, I talked about how this hurt this felt painful. And and he said, maybe she can't. And that was very, that was a big moment for me. It, it occurred to me. I started thinking about the things I can't do because I have bound myself up in some kind of thinking that, you know, kept me from, like, I know his, his, sister was very, very religious, and I think she probably regarded us as, um, you know, kind of, uh, I, I mean, I, she loved us, but I, I think she, it, it was painful for her to be around non-Christians, you know, or whatever, I'm just guessing that that might have been, but that kind of thing, you know, those kind of thoughts that we have that keep us to make a barrier between us and other people, and they get, they get, they really bind us. And yeah, there's things we, and I realize there's things I can't do that you know that may be hurtful, but you know I just can't do them. And it, that that was a big moment for me too. 
um, hearing that. So anyway. Well, the interesting thing about karma, and so far I've been talking about past karma, uh, which we could call fate in a way, but life, the reason fate doesn't work is that karma is always happening or always generating. You're generating karma right now as you sit here. Um, we're all generating karma all the time. And um, so there's kind of a twist that happens, and it happens right in the now. Right now, we are capable of generating good karma. And um, um, but we're but we can't do anything about what's happened to us in the past. We can't even do anything, you know, right now about. Well, this gets sticky, but um, so there's this twist. So everything up to this point in time, we have been doing the best we can, and we aren't we responsible. But at this point in time, we begin to be responsible. So at this moment now, we are responsible for what's going to, what's going on with us, and what kind of character we're going to have in the future, and what kind of effect we're going to have in the world. On the world. Um, and maybe even especially for people like in this room. I mean, we're very lucky. First of all, we were born human, and so that's luck. Is talked of as luck and kind of a kind of a karma in the old way that being born human is uh, a very wonderful good karma. That was the way it was thought of in the old days. But we're also uh, receptive to a practice like this. You know, even if you're brand new to this practice, somehow something something in you allowed you to come here and allowed you to learn the Dharma. So, um, but not everybody is in that situation, of course. So we as people who uh, have been able to um, be here and be open to this practice, we have a big responsibility uh, to carry it on and to create good karma for ourselves and for others. Um, so it's our responsibility to not to uh, avoid doing evil and cultivating good, cultivating all good, like we say in our meal chant. So that's kind of the end of my talk, but I did wanna I did wanna mention that, that thinking about this way and, and about this twist, you know, that in now everything changes and we are responsible, but everything up till now, you know, we've been doing the best we can. It reminds me, it helps me fully more understand Suzuki Roshi's saying, remember his famous saying, you're all perfect just as you are, but you could use some improvement. <laughs> and I think this is what he's talking about. So for the purposes of my talk, I'll change that to say, you are all doing the best you can, but you could do better. <laughs> so does anybody have any questions or comments? Yeah, and Ernest, Ernie. So I think what you're saying is that we actually do have free will. Yeah, that's why it's not fate. You can't really call it fate. Yeah. yeah. In, in the present, there's, there's, there's very well. Absolutely. 
And that, I mean, it's such a, it's such a complex thing. I mean, I could never be a judge, a criminal judge, for instance. You know, I think about like the Uvalde shooter, and I don't know that much about his life, but I understand that he had a fairly cruel mother, and the system failed him in every way it could. And you know, how do you decide? punishment for a person like that, which is like everybody who, everybody who does um, evil things, you know, it, it does, it's all cause and effect. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. I mean, I don't know about you, but I believe that we are innately good, human beings are innately good, and if, if there's been no harm done to us, we're only going to do good things, and the, the stuff that comes out of our non-thinking mind is always good. So, you know, when somebody does something evil, it's been done to them. I mean, it doesn't just happen that somebody decides I'm going to go kill a bunch of people because it sounds like fun, you know. I mean, um, yeah, it's really tough. Right? sounds true, right, because we're not acting. I mean, well, we're just sitting. <laughs> that's our action. <laughs> so, yeah. So then maybe if that's we're not, not doing generating anything. karma, then everything else is generating karma. So it's literally everything else. Well, I, I don't think sitting zazen is the only way to not generate karma. I mean, I, mean, I think there's a, a, a lot of people that don't ever sit, that don't even know about sitting, that you know, are still having pure minds from time to time and, and or, or just um, um, you know, kind of events that I remember one teacher that taught here temporarily told about a time that he was in San Francisco and he was in the um, uh, busy street and this woman, an old woman was in a, a, a a scooter, not not the kind of scooters we have all over town, but the the old old person kind of scooter. Where she and she got her she got her the scooter was stuck under the bumper of a car and it was holding up all this traffic and creating all this chaos. Chaos and horns were honking and and uh, he apparently just had a moment where he just totally connected with the whole situation and his mind was just clear and he just he knew what to do. He didn't have to. Act think and he didn't have thoughts like well what can I do to help you know and that kind of stuff he just ran and did it and he 
and it was simple. He just had to unhook the, and everything was, was fixed. And those kind of things, I mean, they happen a lot and to all of us, I think, sometimes. So I, I don't want to say that just sitting zazen is that way. There'll only be, what, <laughs> a few thousand people in this town that would <laughs> be ever doing <laughs> transcending our thinking, you know. Uh, so, but yeah, that, that's a good point that sitting zazen is a way to not be generating any action, any, any harmful action, or good action for that matter. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Thank you for your talk. I so enjoyed listening to your juicy story about <laughs> your relationship because it was so relatable and the way that you have explained it was so clear and very useful um, in, in the way that you spoke about it. So thank you so much. I felt so affectionate about that. So on the stickiness of words and the word intention, thought. Um, so I think when I, I always have trouble with the word intention because my feeling is like, we think that we know our intention, but we only are aware of the conscious, what we're conscious of. And yeah. it's the same mm -hmm. with our thoughts. You think, oh, a thought, well, I know all the thoughts that I have in my mind. But I think there are a lot of, it depends what you consider a thought, but if you're just kind of considering it like a neural synapse firing and causing an action, then actually there's loads of stuff that you're not aware of. And uh, so I don't have a question per se, but I was kind of thinking that there's so much, there's so many thoughts that are included in the karma mm -hmm. that we're completely unaware of, basically. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Jess. That's, that's a very good thing to bring up. You know, it's so easy to kind of oversimplify this stuff. And you know. I guess, you know, some of that's involved in the habit energy kind of thing. You know, habit energy is like, really, really powerful. And some of it is that frozen thought that at one time there was intention, there was a, a thought there and it just kind of became a part of us. And then that, that uh, yeah, a, a liar consciousness kind of thing, the idea of seeds that, that are some in this basket and our collection of all the seeds that get activated by uh, certain things, yeah, it's all kind of mysterious, yes, so it is a, a really complicated sort of situation and, yeah. Thanks. Jerry. So, so this whole thing that we're doing is just a clever way to live. I mean, he taught us in his uh, ethics of life, living. And if you follow them, you generate good karma, and you kind of let go of the, the bad karma. So it just, it makes life less suffering. It's just, it's so basic. But yeah. because it's so simple, 
I think people have a hard time grasping because we want to like make things very deep and, and I don't know. I just, it's just, it works for me. And you can let go of uh, taking everything personal, like the universe is trying to do you in. <laughs> and then, but then we say the universe is full of so many beings and we're all generating karma and we're all crashing together with our karmas. And there's no way that guy in the traffic was really trying to run you down. He was just trying to do what he what he needed. Yeah. So just it just kind of you can let go. For sure. Yeah, I know it's a wonderful thing about this practice. If, if we do it, we're the one that really benefits so much from just not carrying around those burning those um, those thoughts those nasty unpleasant thoughts uh, letting all that go and so it's a it's a very self-serving practice right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah which is a heavy burden I remember in the first the sangha of my first teacher the the monks wore these great big uh, belt kind of things that were like all kinds of knots and stuff and I said that that's supposed to represent the self carrying around that big heavy self you know yeah so what is somebody asking something? okay yeah I see I see you back there I got distracted from the cup. yes yes when I don't know that the quote from what? I don't know that I've heard the quote from the Buddha before that karma is intention. And I struggled a lot to hear that and to, to feel it within me. Um, and I recall a Dharma talk that I heard where someone said something to the effect of thoughts create action, action creates habit. Uh-huh. Habit creates destiny. That chain of... Yeah, well, that's a good thing to mention. Mm-hmm. The chain of um, causality there, he was saying, can be interrupted at any point by using uh, the practice, the, the state of zazen, the state of not engaging with karma, to make a different action. And that might be, I wonder if that's it. If, if not interrupting mm, bad karma thought, right? The guy who cuts you off in traffic, I need to get here now. That action, you're, you're carrying your bad karma forward into the present moment by not engaging. Does that ring true? I'm not quite sure. Okay, you say say this guy is trying to, say, cut you off or doing something in traffic that's... And you're not carrying it through? Or are you... uh, Okay. It's the... The the recognizing the state of the world around me that someone might cut me off in traffic, I don't need to blame them or not blame them. I can just say, yeah. oh, they're carrying something forward. Yeah, oh, okay, right, yeah. 
I don't have to assign a good or bad. Right. Good you can be non-reactive. You don't need to uh, let that get under your skin. Uh, and yeah, that's a good a good thing to add to this mix of ideas. Is it? Is that? I think I was asking, does that ring true? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The non-reacting, non-grasping, non-clinging, non. Yeah, uh, non I think. Uh, Yeah. Um, okay, I can't think of what else to Mary, say. But, yeah. 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 Hey, Mary. Hi. I didn't know you were there. Um, I guess just to follow up on a, a number of threads, which is one that Jess was bringing up, is this idea that so much action is outside of our awareness. And in Buddhism, the awareness of the smallest self being something you shouldn't over-identify with, I think helps us let go of the reactivity to those things. But it doesn't erase all of that implicit conditioning that's pushing on us. And so the humility of realizing, I think, which is what Jess was pointing to, that there's so much working on us even when we try to make the right choices, <laughs> when we try to let go of our identification with our smallest self, our art, our, our ego. That even when we do that, we're still subject to all of this implicit conditioning and momentum, the modeling, the cultural pressures, the habit energy. And that even when we are being as devout as we can in terms of aligning our behavior with vow, so that we're living by vow. Mm -hmm. We're probably always doing things <laughs> that are karmically loaded because we just can't see what we can't see about our implicit conditioning and that's moving us. And so that one of the things I was thinking about is that it's key for us not to be too confident in ourselves, that the, the humility that's needed to look at at every choice, I may be doing things that I'm not aware of that are influenced by forces that are bigger than I have access to. And there's something about the humility and what was being communicated that I was, I was connecting to. Yeah. Yeah. I hope everybody could hear. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. Humility, great talk. Yeah, we're always. Is that the same as asking yourself if you're doing the best you can? <laughs> you might not be. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you are doing the best. You are doing the best you can. If you need to be fast and doing the best, then it's sticky. Uh, not best for <laughs> other people's best, but best for my own. Is this the best I can do? Well, it probably isn't a good idea to go around thinking I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> That's going to stop you from from you know, pushing through. But <laughs> but because of all that unconscious stuff that's going on, you know, um, that's uh, um, 
helpful to unknow, and we can forgive ourselves a little bit for, uh, uh, you know, things that in some ways aren't, aren't, everything's not under our control. Probably nothing is under our control, really. So we have to do the best we can with what we can, what we can, what we can, the little things we can control. Anyway, thank you, Mary, that's wonderful. Oh, okay, hi. Oh, is that Don? It is. Oh. I just wanted to, to uh, kind of add to the whole uh, discussion. Um, we were talking about someone cutting us off in traffic and uh, not re- reacting to that, being able to realize that they're just in a hurry. But the second half of that to me is that to say to myself they don't realize. A lot of times they just don't realize the habit energy that's coming out. Like, you know, how many times are you trying to get off the freeway you have your blinker on and somebody is zooming up to cut you off so you can't get off the freeway or things like that. A lot of times to me it's, it's I'm thinking they don't even realize they're doing it because the habit energy is there. So to me, that's one of the biggest things, benefits of sitting is over time being able to see my own responses to things and let it go, be forgiving to myself as well in the process, but also learning not to react when others you know, are exhibiting their habit energy. Mm-hmm. I just want yeah. to add that. Yeah. So the best we can do in a situation where we do react, you know, is to at least, yeah, like I think you're saying, not not to act on it, on our, on our reaction. So we can't always be in a place where we just are so Buddha-like that we can't, we don't react, but at least we can see that, we are, see that we're reacting, see what our reaction looks like, and, and as much as possible let go of it. And that's the relationship to sitting. That that learning process. Yeah, yeah. Not reacting to the pain in your knees and the sounds you hear that are irritating the hell out of you. You know, and you just you know, see see that it's happening and you're doing, you're reacting. And, okay. There's somebody. Yeah, you had your hand up, and then and then you were next. So. Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm very brand new to this. Well, I forget your name. Dimitri. Oh, Dimitri. Oh, yeah. You were in class on... Yeah, yeah. so I'm, okay. I'm brand new to this practice, but I feel like what's resonated with me is just that, like, oh, if we can let certain thoughts go during thoughts, and we can take that with us into the real world, and, or the broader world. And, you know, just that example of someone cutting you off in traffic, it's easy to kind of think about, oh, I don't need to assign meaning to this, positive or negative, but I think just what resonated with your story and what I'm personally grappling with is like, you know, it sounds like at least for you and definitely for me with certain situations in my life, there are moments that it's still years later like challenging to let go of certain things that I did or said or something that someone else did or said, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And so I think, I guess, it's not so much a question, but more just that 
that's what keeps coming up in my mind. It's like, you know, as a human, like, should we be letting go or you know, of those things, or when is it? Yeah, just kind of grappling with that. There are moments that we can easily let go with this person in track. Well, it gets easier, so we'll keep keep doing it, and <laughs> it does get easier. And because you, it sounds like just with your story, like, are there moments where you still? Are there many what? I, I just listening to your story. Are there moments where you're still having to kind of let go of certain uh, aspects of that relationship or certain things you said? Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I still wonder if the, the fact that I keep seeing him, you know, is this some kind of hanging on that I'm doing, or is it is it good for both of us, or is it is it something that's keeping me still tied up a little bit? You know, yeah. Yeah, things take a long time. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's cat, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I I don't remember where I heard this in a talk, but it it was um, basically like um, you know our actions create like say we're in the bottom of a pond, our our reactions or actions create like turbidity and muck, you know and sitting is a way to let the muck settle and let the water, let there be clarity in the water. Um, but oftentimes we see things that are really, we see the, we see the, the dead bodies. rising over and overcoming, you know, the, the people who are cutting you off and having compassion, but a lot of times there's pain that you, you see, your own suffering, um, when, when the water does clear, and then to me what you were saying is like then, you know, it's like, I, I don't remember what you said, but it was like something like, when we're acting unconsciously or without intention are we creating karma you know you know but then when we can when the water is clear and we can see and we make that choice then that's like our free will and we're creating karma from that place whether it be good good or bad karma you know so i don't know i'm just curious if i'm interpreting you know, I'm trying to connect things that I've learned along the way to your talk. Uh -huh. um, well, one thing I think I've said that may be confusing people, and it's kind of tied up with what Mary and Jess were talking about, that, you know, there's so much that we can't see thoughts, but they are there. That's still intentional action uh, that's coming out of our... It's just we can't always... It's not always clear what the, what the thoughts are. So, the, but, and and maybe I'm wrong about this, but, and maybe I'm being simple-minded about it. But I do think that pure unintentional action that is not coming out of our thinking mind in any. And there I go again, saying the thinking mind as if it's a clear thought, but it's not <laughs> coming out of. 
you know, our ego in any way. Maybe if I say ego, that's better because sometimes our ego gets expressed in ways that aren't always thoughts or habits and things. Um, I do believe that that is, is always going to be uh, something pure and good. So I don't know. But, uh, does that... It's help. complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. Maybe that's why people don't talk about this very much. <laughs> I'm sure it's why people don't talk about it very much. Yes? I just have one quick statement. I think that, um, you know, regarding what Jess said about us not knowing about everything that's going on, I think that sitting does reveal those skeletons that are down there. And those are things that we just have to fix. You know, I think that sitting is a key part of this. Mm -hmm. Understanding not only what is out there, but what's in here, you know, yeah. about and where this, where these things are coming from. So yeah, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, you know, seeing and, and accepting what we are. Drew. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate in the last two uh, questions and comments about the kind of the necessity of seeing in oneself and focusing on oneself. I find that. Sometimes the I don't necessarily find it helpful to like come up with some reasons why I should for, forgive some person necessarily. I think it's more helpful for me just to say like I am pissed. Like right now, I'm angry. Like this is my karmic activity that's happening. Like going into some explanation of why some other person is some way. I don't. I, I mean if that can be used to kind of loosen my own uh, attitude toward myself, I find that helpful, but I, yeah, just kind of keep keeping the light always shined on myself. Like, uh -huh. What is Absolutely. my karmic activity? What am I thinking? What am I doing right now in myself? Like that's the only thing we actually have access to. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is like the key of the practice of overcoming karma. Right, yeah, couldn't agree more, yeah. You can't. Yeah, spending a lot of time wondering why somebody is doing something. It's just not, not just a waste of time. Right. And you're probably never going to be right, right. anyway. I feel, like <laughs> I feel like sometimes it can be, there can be an overemphasis on being compassionate to others before you've been compassionate to yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's a big, I think that's a <laughs> karmic pattern in kind of Western culture, this kind of self. Yeah, it's probably uh, comes. It's probably more pity that you're feeling than true compassion. Uh, yeah. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be pitied. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we probably should quit because it's like twenty after eleven. Yeah. Everybody. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was really a pleasure to interact with you, and thanks for all your comments. Yeah. Thank you.